You're listening to Living Faith, the podcast of the First Baptist Church of Avon Park, Florida. First Baptist Church is located at 100 North Lake Avenue in Avon Park, Florida. We meet Sunday morning at 9.30 a.m. for Sunday school and 10.45 a.m. for morning worship. Sunday evening services are at 6 p.m. On Wednesday, we meet at 6 p.m. for our weekly Bible study along with our immersive student and children's ministries. Find out more at www.fbcap.net or give us a call at 863-453-6681. You can email us at info at fbcap.net. We'd love to connect with you soon. Well, good morning, brothers and sisters in Christ. It's good to see you all this morning. I bring you greetings from Grace Baptist Church in Cape Coral, Florida, where I serve there as a pastor. Brothers and sisters are gathering there at the same time, worshiping our crucified and risen Christ. I'm especially thankful to be here with you this morning. I owe a great debt to this congregation, a debt that many of you know, having had the opportunity to be raised in this church and taught God's word and loved along the way. It's a reminder of the grace of God. It's been God's grace to this congregation. So very glad to be here with you this morning to be preaching God's word. Let's pray before we do and ask that God would bless us this morning. Oh, Father, we thank you that you have not left us in darkness, but have spoken forth your word. We humble ourselves before you this morning, and we ask that you would teach us now, that your word would run among us, that you would have your way with us. Open up our ears so that we hear. Open up our hearts so that we receive your word, believe your word, obey your word. We know that apart from you, we can do no good thing. So we set our eyes upon you now. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. If you've grown up in this nation, then you have heard quite a lot about liberty. Liberty is to America what Turkey is to Thanksgiving dinner. Most of us remember standing up for the Pledge of Allegiance saying, one nation under God, indivisible with liberty and justice for all. We recall Patrick Henry's stirring call to arms against the British where he cried, give me liberty or give me death. We can still hear the voice of Martin Luther King Jr. as he declared, when we allow freedom ring, when we let it ring from every village and every hamlet, we will be able to speed up that day when all of God's children will be able to sing free at last, free at last, thank God Almighty, we are free at last. But you know, if we step back and survey the landscape a bit, we'll see that we've gotten all muddled up about our liberty. The words sound great, but we're left wondering, what exactly have we been liberated from? What is it that we are now free to do? And who exactly is it that has emancipated us? One of the funniest examples we see of our confusion when it comes to liberty is seen in the movies. Moana is a recent Disney film about a young girl trapped on the land who wants freedom to go to the sea. But not too long ago, Disney produced a movie about a little girl, a little mermaid, who was trapped in the sea 
and wanted freedom to go to the land. We're left looking at these little girls. Which one is it, girls? One of you is headed in a very bad direction. These little princesses illustrate the problem with our modern notion of freedom. Our modern notion of freedom boils down to this. I want to be free to do whatever I want, whenever I want, however I want. And I want freedom from anybody that's going to try to stop me. This is a false notion of freedom that leaves many in chains. So in an effort then not to be deceived and to experience true freedom, we must listen to Jesus Christ. He knows what true freedom is all about. He lays out the truth about freedom in the Gospel of John, chapter 8 and verse 31. Please take a Bible and open there with me. The Gospel of John, chapter 8 and verse 31. At this point in Jesus' ministry, he is in Jerusalem. The Jewish people who have gathered for a big feast called the Feast of Booths are divided about him. Some think that he may be the Christ. Others reject him. The Jewish leaders are trying to kill him, and they will do so in only a few months. But Jesus continues to reveal what he indeed is, and that is that he's the Christ, the Son of God. So you follow along as I read John chapter 8, beginning in verse 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say, you will become free. Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. Jesus liberates sinners from their slavery to sin. That's what this passage is all about. He is the true liberator. He is the rightful emancipator. He brings real liberty to those who are in spiritual slavery. In our passage, we're going to consider three things. First, we'll look at the truth about our slavery. Then we'll see the truth about our liberator. Finally, we'll see the truth about our liberty. First, let's consider our slavery. Je Jesus identifies our slavery in verse 34. Look there. When he says, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. Here's mankind's real problem. We are slaves to sin. You see, we're not enslaved to the sea or the island. We're not enslaved to our little unspectacular spot on planet Earth. We're not enslaved to our boring lives. 
There are all sorts of people that would like to get you thinking that that's your real problem. If you could just be set free to do whatever your heart desires, well, then you would be truly free. The problem is such people are deceiving us from our real slavery, our real problems, seeking to keep us in chains. Our true slavery, Jesus says, is slavery to sin. Now, in this first portion of the sermon, we're going to see the diagnosis. And it's a bitter, painful dark, troubling diagnosis. But I want to encourage you, it's just like going into the doctor's office. If you've got a cancer growing, you want to know you've got a cancer growing. You want the kind of doctor that can find out what's really wrong with you so that he can bring real healing to you. So let's look at our slavery to sin. We know from the rest of the Bible that everyone is in view here when Jesus is talking about people being enslaved to sin. It's not as if there are only some people who practice sin and thus are slaves to sin. Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned. In other words, each and every one of us are born into this world practicing sin. We are slaves to sin. Now, if you're a Christian this morning, that means Christ has freed you from that slavery. But it was once your condition. If you're not a Christian this morning, then this text means you are still in this slavery. What did Jesus mean when he said we are slaves to sin? Well, he meant that we are unable to overcome the power of sin. Is that not what slavery is? The man bound in the chains of slavery cannot free himself. When we really start to think about sin this way, we become very uncomfortable. You're going to tell me that I don't have the power to change my life? What's what's the whole self-help section in the bookstore for? No, scripture says we are dead in our sins. Ephesians chapter 2. Paul is writing to Christians and he says, You were once dead in your sins and your trespasses in in which you once walked. We say dead in our sins? I mean, wasn't I just sick in my sins? Wasn't I just in the hospital on life support, still able to do something about my condition? And Jesus comes to us and says, no, you were once dead in your sins. What kind of power does a dead man have? If you were to walk out on the street and see a dead man, what can he do? The answer is he can do nothing because of Adam's sins. We are all born dead in our sin. Think about this for just a moment, Christian. You were once in a situation that you could not get yourself out of. No matter how hard you tried, no no matter how strategic you were in your planning, there was simply no way to get out of your slavery to sin. Well, another truth that comes to us when we hear Jesus tell us these words, that that anyone who practices sin is a slave to sin, is the truth that we are entirely enslaved to sin. You think about a man who is a slave. Well, he's a slave no matter what he does. When he sleeps, he's a slave. When he rises up in the morning to eat breakfast, he's a slave. 
When he goes out to work, he's a slave. When he goes out to play and recreation, he's a slave. And in the same way, outside of Christ, every one of us born into this world completely enthralled in sin. Romans 3 tells the truth about us. It says our throats are open graves. The venom of asps is under our lips. Our feet are swift to shed blood. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Together, they've become worthless. I mean, these are fighting words, if you want to be honest. You come to me and tell me my throat's an open grave. You're trying to tell me that I'm really that bad, that there's no fear of God at all before my eyes. This isn't the way that we talk to people. And yet this is what God says about us. We live in a day and age that is not comfortable saying we are slaves to sin. But the Apostle Paul in the book of Romans chapter 7 says, I know that nothing good dwells within me. That's in my flesh. Sin has corrupted our minds so we think things that we ought not think. It's polluted our desires so that our desires are trapped down to do wicked things. It's corrupted our relationships. We're entirely enslaved to sin. Our slavery to sin is further explained by seeing that we are enslaved to do sin's bidding. When we hear that language that the one who practices sin is a slave to sin, that means we actually do the work of sin in the world. Is that not what a slave does? A slave advances the purposes of his master. And in our enslavement to sin, we advance the purposes and the ways of the devil himself. He's got an agenda in this world. He comes to steal and kill and destroy. Verse 37 says that the Jews were trying to kill Christ. Well, why were they doing that? Well, they were doing the work of the evil one. Second Timothy Chapter 2, verse 26 says that those who oppose the gospel have been captured by the devil to do his will. We think about this in the relationship to some of our sociological analysis. You may have heard of a study that recently came out about the state of religion in America today. And people are being classified as the nuns. As those who have no religious affiliation whatsoever. They're just non-religious. About 20% of Americans make up this group. Well, how differently we'll think about the nuns when we hear God's word that every single one of us are born into this world enslaved to sin. Resolved to do the will of the wicked one, to be used by him in this world. The slavery stuff is tough stuff and you can understand why the Jews responded with offense. We're not enslaved to anybody. What are you talking about? But their offense only shows us another dimension of sin slavery. Namely, we are deceptively enslaved to sin. Look at verse 33. The Jews object. We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. But they were. Jesus says so. Sin had wound its chains around them in the dark. Jesus had told them previously in verse 12 that they were walking in darkness. The book of Romans says that we, by our unrighteousness, suppress the truth. It's like trying to take a beach ball out to a lake and then stuff it under the water. 
you know, and our arms start to shake and wiggle. It's hard to suppress the truth. And yet this is the truth about sin slavery that we love to suppress. We don't want to face up to it. We claim a number of things. This sin isn't really that bad. I know, some, I know maybe some old book called the Bible might say that this is a bad thing, but this is a new day, this is a new era, and so I can somehow do these things and be okay. We claim I can stop this sin whenever I want. I'm just going to, to veer off the road for a little while, enjoy the sinful pleasures of this world, but at any time that I desire, I can get back on the main road, the road of righteousness truth comes to us that we simply cannot we're not only enslaved deceptively but a further dimension of our slavery comes to us as we see we are willingly enslaved to sin the argument that the devil made me do it really doesn't work although I know that I've tried that one before But the problem is, you hear what Jesus says in verse 38 to the Jewish leaders. He says, I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. Who is that? That's the devil. He says, you are sons of the devil. His ways are in you. You're happy to do what your father once done. You enjoy these things. You're willingly enslaved. You're deceptively enslaved. You might not have ever thought about how bad it is. You might be confused, but it's still something that you long to do from the heart. Our slavery is a heart slavery. We may not want this broadcasted, but apart from Christ, we are devoted to sin and the devil. James chapter 1 verse 14 says we are lured and enticed to sin by what? By our own evil desires. God tempts no one to sin. We lead ourselves away. If God sheds light here so you can admit this truth about your heart, then you have received amazing grace from God. Unbelieving friend, if you're here this morning and you hear this truth and you can begin to see, you know what? That makes sense. My whole life, I've wanted to do things contrary to God's law. I've wanted to create my own way. I've, I've wanted to go my own way and I've thought his ways are wrong and it makes sense that I'm probably enslaved to sin. If you're able to see that, that's amazing grace of God to you. That's not the way people respond when they hear this message apart from the grace of God. Finally, as enslaved people, we are enslaved to sin's punishment. Anyone who stays in Satan's chains will suffer Satan's fate. Revelation chapter 20 and verse 10 says that Satan and those who follow him will one day be thrown into the lake of fire and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Psalm 7 says, if a man does not repent, God will wet his sword. He has bent and readied his bow. Our God is a consuming fire. So unbelieving friend, 
I want to cut it as straight as possible for you this morning. Outside of Christ, you're enslaved to sin. Outside of Christ, before experiencing the emancipation of Christ, every person in this room was enslaved to sin. Deceptively enslaved, unable to overcome the power of sin. You may hear the message today that you've done some bad things, but if you work hard and you come to church and you read your Bible and you say your prayers, you can somehow get better. You can improve yourself. And you know what? If you do enough good things, on the last day, when you look God in the face, your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds and you'll be able to go to heaven and be with God forever. That is a false gospel. That is not the Christian gospel. The Christian gospel is you are enslaved to your sin and there's no way for you to save yourself. It'd be like a man who murdered somebody in the street, walked into the judge and said, I'm really sorry and I promise I'll do better. You know what that judge will say, what he ought to say. We cannot liberate ourselves. But the good news is there is one who can liberate us. And brother and sister in Christ, we have much to learn from this first point. Have you fully appreciated your situation before Christ saved you? Has your love for Christ begun to grow cold and you thought, you know what? I mean, I was a little bad and so I've got a little savior. No, we need to rethink again what our true condition was. We were dead in our sins. We were face down in a dark ocean right next to somebody else who will never know Christ's salvation. And the only difference between us and them is Christ. The liberator. Let's consider him now. Jesus shows himself to be the liberator in verse 36 when he says, listen to this, look there. If the son sets you free, if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. We see a number of truths about this extraordinary liberator. First, our liberator Jesus Christ has the power to liberate us. You cannot liberate Slaves without power. Christ has that power. To appreciate Christ's power, we need to tune into what the Bible says about heavenly or spiritual power. Have you noticed the way the Bible talks about the heavenly realm? The heavenly realm is called rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. We hear about them in Colossians chapter 2, verse 15, where Jesus Christ disarms those rulers and authorities in heavenly places and puts them to public shame at the cross. But they're disarmed by the Lord Jesus Christ. These rulers and authorities in the heavenly places are far more powerful than us. And yet they're not more powerful than Christ. Think about the power of Christ we see in the scriptures. He has power over wind and waves. He has power over bread, fish, and wine. He has power over sickness, over blindness, over death itself. He has power over demons on earth, power over the spiritual rulers and authorities, power over the devil. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 14 says this, that the devil has the power of death, but Jesus has destroyed him. 
not only does Jesus, as our liberator, have the power to liberate us, but he has the authority to liberate us. You may often find a person who has the power to do a thing, but not the authority to do it. You can find a contractor who has all the ability to renovate your house, but he's not licensed in the state. Or you might find a man perfectly able to govern a city. He is a wise man. He would be good for this community, and yet he lacks the necessary credentials and therefore does not have the right to do so. Well, Jesus, being the Son of God, you see that? The Son sets you free. Being the Son of God, he not only has the power, but he has the right to emancipate us. He has the authority to emancipate us. He has the credentials to emancipate us. In Matthew chapter 28, right before Jesus sends us out on the Great Commission, do you remember what he says? He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. But right before that, he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So go and make disciples. I have the authority to liberate them. To bring them out of their slavery to sin and make them disciples of me. In the gospel of Mark, we hear about a paralytic who's laying there on the ground in Jesus looks at people and says, so that you may know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins, you stand up and walk. And that man stood up and walked out of that place. Why? To show us all, to be a witness 2,000 years later to us, that Jesus Christ has the authority to forgive sins. He has the authority to emancipate you. He's the one who holds the key. If the son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. Friend, you might think that you've sinned so long and hard against God that there's no hope for you. Here, there is no hope for you outside of Christ, apart from Christ. With Christ, you have all that you need. You need Jesus to save you. He laid down his life on a cross. He's risen again. He's alive today. You call upon him, he'll save you. You say, save me from my enslavement to sin. He'll come and make you new. He'll come and set you free. Jesus not only has the power and the authority to liberate us, but as our liberator, he has the truth to liberate us. If you're going to be liberated from sin's deceit, then you need to encounter the truth. Lies cannot deliver you from lies. Falsehood cannot deliver you from falsehood. You can hear all kinds of ideas about how to be a better person, how to live a good life. You can find that anywhere. You need the truth of Christ. If you're going to be set free from sin, you you must come to see the truth about God. You must come to see the truth about yourself. And you can't do that apart from the word of Christ. Look at verse 31. You see what Jesus says there? If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. Jesus said the deadly problem for the Jews was that his word found no place in them. You see that in verse 37? His word found no place in them. They came and they heard Jesus speak, but his word glanced off them. It did not abide in them. It did not remain in them. The son of God liberates with the truth. He spoke what he heard from God, his father. He established his apostles who went on speaking the very truth of Christ. And our only hope 
is that the truth of Christ finds a place in us. As the Son of God, our liberator, Jesus paid the price for our liberation. He actually accomplished it. So it's not like he's only an able savior. He has the power, he has the authority, he has the truth. No, when Jesus says, if the son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. And then just a few months later, he dies on a Roman cross and rises again. We have a picture, a reminder to us that Christ has purchased his people. What was the cost of our redemption? It was the blood of Jesus. You see, the devil had rights to us. There was a ransom on our heads because God himself has said the wages of sin is death. You must die. That's why Adam and Eve, when they were in the garden, God said, do not eat of this tree. And the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. They ate and we began to die. Not only physically, but spiritually. So we're held captive to the enemy. And Jesus Christ comes in and he pays that death price. You see, it's a price that you and I could not pay because we don't have righteousness. We're full of sin. Jesus Christ, born of the Virgin Mary 2,000 years ago, came into this world as the God-man, fully and completely God, fully and completely man. He lived a righteous life on this earth, perfectly obeying the law of God. Can you imagine? He never stole. He never lied. He always honored his father and mother. There's not a single one of us that have done that. And yet Christ, the victorious one, the liberator, perfectly obeys the law of God. Rather than being rewarded, which is what he should have gotten, he willingly lays down his life on the cross and he says, my life for theirs. My perfect and righteous life for their wicked and depraved lives. And this Jesus Christ rose again. The good news for us, you repent of your sins and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. You trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. His very own righteousness is accredited to you. And all of your sin is accredited to Christ. Punished there on the cross. Done away with. So that God looks down upon you and smiles. Welcomes you into his family. How does that exchange happen? It doesn't happen if you become a better person. It doesn't happen if you somehow reform your life. It happens when you trust in Christ. Unbelieving friend, you trust in Christ. Where you are, as you are. God will save you in your seat. You call upon the name of the Lord, you will be liberated from sin's slavery to experience communion with God. As a son of God, then, Jesus is the decisive liberator. Notice the language. He says, if the son sets you free, then you'll be free indeed. If the son sets you free, then you'll be free indeed. We often think that we are the decisive ones. Like if the son does something for me and then I do something back in and of myself, well, then I'll be set free. But that's not the language of this verse, is it? No, if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. He's the decisive agent in liberating people from their slavery. If the son does not set you free, then you won't be free. Think about 
how glorious Christ is. He is the only decisive liberator of his people. We need to see his perfect liberation. Believer in Christ, as we survey the truth about our liberator, we ought to think about the applications to our lives. Have you begun to drift away from Christ and Christ alone as the one who keeps you? Have you started to think that there's some other way that you can get along in life apart from him? You see, the son sets you free and the son keeps you free. If you're experiencing temptation's power this morning, as we regularly will as followers of Christ, come to Christ, look to Christ. The one who set you free, he's the one who's going to keep supplying you with everything that you need that you might turn away from sin to him. There's no, there's no new way. It's not like we come and cry out to Christ for salvation and then he kind of sends us down the road by ourselves. We need him every single moment of the day. And we're here this morning to acknowledge him, to worship him, to exalt him. Make your life all about Christ. Keep Christ at the center of everything that you do. Oh, families, I encourage you to keep Christ at the very center of your home. Fathers, speak of this liberator to your children. Talk of Christ to your wife. When you botch it all up, and you will botch it all up because we still have the flesh in us, remind your family, we depend upon Christ every moment. Christ has forgiven us for these sins. Christ will now supply us with power and strength to put these sins to death and to continue on in the freedom that is ours. As you go and engage in your workplace, think of Christ, speak of Christ, live for Christ. When people talk to you about liberty, rejoice in the freedom that we have in Jesus, the freedom from our enslavement to sin. Having seen our slavery and our liberator, we now look at the final truth of our passage, and that is the truth about our liberty. Our common talk about liberty often leaves out what we are free to do, but God does not leave us in the dark about the sweetness of our freedom. When Jesus says, we will be free indeed, this last truth that we're going to consider is all about what does he mean when he says, if the sun sets you free, you'll be free indeed. What's the nature of that freedom? We see it's far better than political freedom. It's far better than financial freedom. If you trust in Christ, this liberty will be yours. Being really free or free indeed, we will be free from sin's guilt unto righteousness. The problem is when we sin, we really are guilty before God. I once know a pastor friend that said a man had committed adultery against his wife a number of times and he came in for counseling and the man said, I just feel so guilty. I just feel so guilty. And my pastor friend said, it's because you are guilty. We get so confused about guilt these days. We need to own up to the fact when we sin against God, we become guilty in his courtroom. We don't only become corrupt, but now we're going to stand before the judgment seat and be guilty of our sin. 
What does Christ do when he comes and liberates us? He takes away our guilt. He frees us from sin's guilt unto righteousness. The book of Ephesians says that we in Christ now have this righteousness as a breastplate. It's the righteousness of Christ. It's a righteousness that is outside of us. It's a righteousness that God sees. When he looks down on you, Christian, he sees you as right, as righteous because of Christ. So we don't have to walk around in this world saying we're guilty, guilty, guilty. Outside of Christ, that's true. In Christ, we have his righteousness now. Romans chapter 3 says that the righteousness of God has come to us through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. This righteousness has been manifested to us apart from the law. The law of God said, you come and obey these ten commandments and you can get righteousness. But the problem is there's not a single one of us who can obey those ten commandments. We need righteousness through another way. It comes through Christ. You trust in Christ, you get his righteousness. And you need to think of yourself as righteous. Think of yourself as as knowing God because you have everything that you need to be reconciled to him. He's a holy God. So if somebody comes to you and says, if you were to die tomorrow and stand before God on the last day, and he says, why should I let you into my heaven? I wonder what you'd say. He says, what about your sin? What would you say? The response for a Christian is, your son, Jesus Christ, paid for my sin. Your son, Jesus Christ, his righteousness, it's mine now because you've said so. You've said, believe in your son, Jesus Christ, and you'll be saved, you'll be set free, you'll have his righteousness. I've done that. And God will say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Come into the kingdom because you have the righteousness of my son. Being really and truly free, when Jesus says that, he's indicating that we are free from sin's dominion to exercise dominion over it. Christians are free to dish out dominion on the bully sin that used to hang us up by the shirt collar on the school locker. The Bible is very clear that when we fall into sin, we are now enslaved to it. That means it exercised dominion over us. But the Apostle Paul says in the book of Romans that sin shall no longer have dominion over you. You've been set free from going on in your sin, continuing to be beat down by sin. You've been supplied with everything that you need to walk in freedom and to kill your sin, to crucify your sin, as the book of Romans says, to put sin to death. Brother and sister in Christ, if you're here this morning, still dabbling in sin, walking in sin, if you see patterns of sin developing in you, hear this message. In Christ, you are free to sight in your spiritual armor and blow sin away. You have that in Christ. Kill your sin by the power of the crucified and risen Christ. Being really free, we are free from sin's shame unto glory. I wonder if you've experienced the shame of sin. It's related to guilt, but slightly different. Shame is the disgrace that sin brings upon us. 
you think, I know what I've done. What I've done has dishonored God. What I've done, I now have to go out in this community and hang my head and somehow try to prove myself again that I can lift myself up out of this shame and and somehow earn a good reputation again. Listen to this. When Jesus says, if the Son sets you free, you'll be free indeed, he means he'll free you from your shame. He will take away your shame and replace it with glory. The book of Isaiah says he was despised and rejected. He was a man of sorrows. He was acquainted with grief. He, Jesus Christ, was one like a man from whom men hide their faces. He bore all of our shame so that it could all be taken away. There may be some of you here this morning that have done things that you think, I can't even let people know. There's no way that I could show my face again in this place if people knew what I did. Well, let me tell you something to that. Every person in here has already had it publicly testified how wicked and depraved we were. The only way we could be saved is by the public humiliation and crucifixion of the Son of God. Every single one of us. So you come to Christ, you'll experience the glory of God, the goodness of God, the mercy of God. He'll take all that shame in an instant and put it away. Trust in Christ. Christian, remember, this is what we have. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 says that now we're beholding the glory of Christ. And as we behold the glory of Christ, we're being transformed from one degree of glory to the next. C.S. Lewis says in The Weight of Glory that if we saw each other today in our glorified state that we'll experience on the last day, we would be tempted to worship each other. That's how glorious we will be. This is the nature of our liberty. Finally, being really free, we are free from sin's condemnation unto communion with God. Remember Psalm 7 that says God has bent and readied his bow. When we sin against God, we are then guilty and we're going to experience condemnation. We're going to experience the judgment of God. Christ has come to liberate us from that. Romans chapter 8 verse 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation for you, brother and sister. Trusting the Lord Jesus Christ. You now have communion with God. The New Testament says that Christ Jesus died the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, that we might know God. We're not going to be cast away from his presence forever. We're going to be brought into his presence forever. We're going to sit down at table with him, eat and drink and know him forever. This is our liberty. You're going to tell me that's not better than the 4th of July? Jesus is the great liberator of his people. Jesus liberates sinners from their slavery to sin. This is God's word to us this morning. So brother and sister, I want to encourage you to fully celebrate this liberty. Embrace it. 
Remember Christ, exalt Christ, the only liberator. Trust him more and more. Rejoice in what he has done for us. Unbelieving friend, I know that there are many in this church that would love to talk to you more about Christ, what it means to trust him, what it means to be set free from the power of sin, the dominion of sin, the punishment of sin, what it means to to know Christ savingly and to walk in his power and his freedom and communion with God. You come to Pastor John, I'd love to talk to you more after the service as well. Live for the glory of the liberator, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have not treated us as our sins deserve. We rejoice in you. For you have sent your son, Jesus Christ, to set us free. Help us exalt the Lord Jesus and celebrate the freedom that is ours in him. For we pray this in his name. Amen.